the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Eight of the top ten Irish companies choose to do business with us. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. In this week's episode, I'll be looking at the European Commission's plans to introduce a digital sales tax. EU finance ministers failed to reach agreement on its introduction this week, with Ireland firmly opposed to such a levy. How would the tax work and why is Ireland so opposed to its introduction? Olivia Buckley of the Irish Tax Institute and Irish Times Europe editor Patrick Smith explained the backdrop to these fraught negotiations. Separately, Kevin O'Sullivan of the Irish Times will tell me about a new group that launched this week to pressure companies to publish in full details of their greenhouse gas emissions. But first, Peter Hamilton joined me in studio for a run-through of some of the main business stories of the week. Now, Peter, you're very welcome. You've been off uh, for the last few weeks. Our listeners, no doubt, will be wondering where you've been. Yeah, let them wonder. <laughs> a man of mystery. Yeah. <laughs> right, OK. Well, you didn't venture too far from home. Yeah, no. You don't have much of a tan. All right. Um, so we're going to start with air travel, as it turns out, uh, Peter. And uh, people might recall a video that went viral there recently. Six uh, Ryanair cabin crew were photographed lying on the Spanish airport office floor last month. And the sense was that uh, these poor people were... Uh, these were the kind of facilities they had to put up with uh, in their uh, while they were waited around for uh, Ryanair uh, duties, etc. But in fact, it was all a bit of a lie. Yeah, if you think back, a month seems quite a long time ago now. And at that point, Ryanair was a bit of a sitting duck, I suppose, in terms of industrial relations battles. And this was one they were fighting at the, t- or, or, or at least they were uh, involved with industrial relations uh, issues in with cabin crew, in, yeah, with cabin crew at that time. These were Portuguese staff. So these were Portuguese staff that, due to uh, adverse weather conditions, were forced to spend the night in Malaga Airport. And at the time, Ryanair said it, there were no hotels around the airport; they were all booked up. So Ryanair couldn't accommodate those staff in hotels. So six cabin crew, there were uh, 18, sorry, there were 16 cabin crew and eight pilots in Malaga Airport on the night. Six of the cabin crew took a photograph that went viral and Ryanair subsequently released a video which showed these cabin crew staging this this photograph. The cabin crew essentially were showing themselves lying on the floor. Yeah. No chairs, no facilities, no, uh, you know. And and I think their motive was to, to show the conditions that they had to put up with that mm-hmm. night. I don't know how representative it was of what usually By the way, where did they actually stay? Do we know? They stayed there. They stayed. They stayed. They just hung out in the airport. They hung out in the airport because, as Ryanair said at that time, all the hotels there, there was there was adverse weather conditions, so all of the hotels, according to Ryanair, were were booked out. All right. So the cabin anyway, crews, the actions, their actions have come home to roost. They have. They've been sacked, and Ryanair have called this uh, gross misconduct. They've seen it as a breach of contract. So these six cabin crew have been sacked. As to where this will go now is a bit unclear. The head of the the uh, Portu- Portuguese union, SNPVAC, uh, they said that the union's legal team are now dealing with the matter. Right, OK. Let's say with Travel, an Irish continental group. It operates the Irish Ferries a company, which uh, runs uh, services from Ireland to Britain and France. Irish Ferries has a new ship coming on stream, WB8. It's been delayed. Everybody knows about it. It's been well publicised. Uh, problems in the German shipyard where it was being built. Um, but it turns out that they're making uh, contingency plans for Brexit with this uh, new ship. 
That's right. One of the design changes that ICG sought on this WB8 ship was space for a uh, duty-free area. Mm. This wasn't the cause of the delay. Before anybody hops on that, um, but the, this this was this, this was one of the design changes that they sought. Anyway, their hope is that post Brexit uh, there might be a return to the, those crews will uh, be back. Indeed, the pre nineteen ninety nine. Uh, You're too young to remember this now. It was quite a feature of Irish life, Peter. Let me tell you, over twenty years ago, <laughs> people going across for uh, cheap booze. Uh, on the ferry to Hollyhead and indeed having a lot of cheap booze while on the ferry in right. Hollyhead. So it was a right old knees up. Well, there you go. It might be coming back. So at least I'll get to experience it uh, if right. Brexit doesn't work out. Now, they're not the only one, it should be said. DAA is also hoping for a post-Brexit duty-free uh, arrangement. So so I suppose that'll be good for sales, both for ICG and for, for the DAA, if, if it comes to pass. OK, sticking with retail now. Uh, differing fortunes for IKEA and Marks and & Spencer in Ireland. It's, yeah, it's worth starting with Marks and Spencer's because they flagged difficulties at their Irish business this morning in their half-yearly results. Uh, they said trading in the Republic had been difficult. They have 18 outlets here. Uh, and overall, they said that poor demand for clothing and food had caused a problem in the sales. Now, this they're a year into their turnaround plan to deal with price competition from supermarkets and discounters uh, and previously M&S had attracted more affluent shoppers uh, for example those who were on the way home to pick up a few things uh, like a meal deal and wine and things like, like that yourself, Peter, no, 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 not quite like well, I can't afford it but one London analyst uh, said that, that that approach is facing competition from Deliveroo and, uh, and Just Eat now that's more in the UK that's not necessarily the case here we're still trying to get to the bottom of must be an Aldi and little impact there because I mean their grocery section is in terms of price I mean it's quite pricey compared to other retailers in the market It is and it's actually com- it's quite pricey compared to itself in the UK uh, it, it, is a, it is a cheaper supermarket in the UK now it's still on the, the, uh, higher, the end. higher end but it is one of the more expensive outlets here Okay but IKEA enjoying uh, much better fortunes here the, yeah, they've had a very strong year uh, in the year to August. Sales rose almost 7.5% for the year. Uh, 181.5 million. So that means that Irish consumers are spending an average of 15 million a month uh, in IKEA. So that's big enough in itself. Uh, and it's worth noting that its website, which it launched a year yeah. ago at around the same time that Marks and Spencer's were launching its turnaround plan, uh, that has recorded sales of 17.3 million. Um, so... Fortunes. Their food is proving quite popular as well. I'm told that hot dogs and meatballs and so they're, on. They're no longer cooked, horse cooked. meat. <laughs> yeah, are uh, proving quite popular with, with customers too. But interestingly, um, IKEA has said that it's not interested in additional sites in Ireland. The focus is very much on the web. So we had thought that it was looking at a site in South County Dublin and in Cork. So those now seem to be off the table. Uh, and as you say, the focus on the web, yeah. Yeah, right, OK. Um, and finally, Peter, Sharon Donnery, she was in the frame for a big job with the European Central Bank, but it hasn't worked out. No, she's lost out to become the next chair of the ECB's uh, banking supervision arm. While this result is bad for Sharon Donnery, or she may be unhappy at this, it does boost the chances now for Philip Lane to take over from Peter Preet as the next uh, chief economist in the European Central Bank. Remember, Philip Lane lost out earlier in the year so th- this could be his chance to, to take a mm. top seat. Well there could be a, a silver lining Sharon Donnery is Deputy uh, Governor at the Central Bank and if Philip Lane goes off to a bigger job at the ECB well obviously the governorship is up for grabs Absolutely. and no doubt she'll be a contender for that. Yeah her stock has definitely improved as a result of this she's, she's uh, publicity wise she's done very well out of this race. Alright Peter we'll leave it there for this week thank you for joining us. 
Now, this week uh, saw Dublin hosting a summit on climate innovation. And on the fringe of that summit, a new group was launched to put pressure on companies to publish the full details of their greenhouse gas emissions. It's called the 100% Club. And Kevin O'Sullivan of the Irish Times is here to tell me more about it. Uh, Kevin, tell us all about this 100% Club. Well, it it's, uh, signals a very dramatic shift in financial services and financial markets uh, and also in terms of transparency as well, whereby major companies uh, have to declare how much all their operations uh, yield in terms of, of carbon emissions. And um, it, it, it's remarkable, given the face of what's happening in the world in terms of climate change, there's only 20 major companies that are doing so at the moment that reveal all of their carbon emissions through all of their operations. And this is an initiative. Uh, it's a global initiative between uh, major companies and also uh, academic institutions. And uh, in Ireland, the Smurfit Business School is leading the charge and um, in Imperial College in London is also supporting it as, as a founding partner. It, it sets out very detailed principles whereby uh, there has to be full accounting for, for carbon emissions. In other words, what are known as greenhouse gas emissions that that, that might be related to, to manufacturing, but also every aspect of the business, the supply chain in terms of vehicle use. Um, and a very detailed um, audit is required to really be genuinely uh, sustainable and transparent in accounting for for these activities, but uh, the the other aspect of the climate innovation conference is very clear that this is going to become the norm um, because of the scale of climate change that is facing companies, and in many ways this is just one way of of changing, uh, but it will it will have more profound effects mm. in terms of financing. Uh, it, climate change will drive a change in... in well, investors are going to become more interested, aren't they? They're Absolutely. going to want to know yeah. companies, before yeah. they invest in pension funds, Absolutely. presumably in institutional yeah. investors, they're going to want yeah. to know what companies are doing in terms of climate change. And it's going to become very important for companies to be able to demonstrate to the world and to investors that actually they're not doing anything that might harm uh, the, the environment. Unquestionably. And the big backdrop uh, to this is the latest UN report from the Intergovernment mm -hmm. Panel on Climate Change, which was evaluating whether we can keep global warming to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels in the world. And it, the report which came out a month ago was incredibly bleak on that. So uh, it requires unprecedented transformational change across every sector, across business, across financing, across government policy. And uh, clearly this, this is one gesture that, that helps move in that direction. Yeah. What about Irish companies? How, how good or bad or indifferent have they well, been to date? Well, I, I think Irish companies have been quite poor. Um, you know, I, I think this goes way beyond corporate social responsibility, to be honest with you. It requires, you know, understanding the carbon footprint of all aspects of the business. And um, it is going, as you say, it's going to become the norm. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, too few uh, are, are sort of pursuing that in a really meaningful way. There are some. And um, there are reporting of it annually in terms of, of leaders. Uh, but Any, anybody, any standards? Well, Aviva Ireland is is totally committed, and actually, Aviva is one of the twenty globally that it, it has already committed to um, to one hundred percent disclosure. 
And not only that, um, it's endorsed this particular 100% club. Uh, it's one of the first businesses to, 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 to publicly back it. Um, but there's not that many after that. Um, I, I think uh, clearly any any business in renewables, uh, you know, can justify uh, its carbon footprint in a much better way. Um, and then I think waste companies are changing quite significantly in terms of, of how they dispose of their waste uh, in a much more sustainable way. Um, but I'm afraid it's a very inconsistent pattern across the whole variety of different sectors. Yeah, and I just wonder about Aviva, for example. I mean, are they just uh, declaring the greenhouse emissions for their own business, let's say? Or are they also declaring the emissions, if they know what they are, of their customers? Because, I mean, let's face it, a lot of the Aviva customers are driving dirty diesels around town and, and so on, yeah. so which is polluting the air. So are which are they reporting? I think it's in to serve both those needs in the sense mm. that it wants to make its customers fully aware of the implications of climate change. And John Quinlan, um, its chief executive, addressed the conference this morning and gave a very full account of its commitment. But also, it, it, you know, it, it sees the reality of climate change and it's been very consistent in saying you know, that they want to support a major shift in the, in the climate action response, whether it's by mitigation or adaptation. And also that means informing their own co- consumers, their own, uh, you know, their own customers. Uh, and I think, you know, that, that, that will increase because we are seeing extreme events more frequently. And uh, John gave a very graphic outline of the financial costs of, of all of that, costing tens of millions in Ireland. But globally, it, it's it's an astronomical figure, and obviously, insurance only applies to a certain limb, mm. a certain part of that. So uh, they also recognise that, on, based on business as usual scenarios, that we are facing probably a four to five degree increase this century. And like he was brutally frank, he said, if there's four degrees rise this century, we we will be out of business. Um, and that's how stark it is. And uh, I think that, you know, they, they, they are to be commended by doing it in a meaningful, transparent way without uh, sort of playing the doomsday card. You know, they're, they're trying to, you know, read the, the likely impacts of, of, of climate change and also to to bring about a scenario where collectively there's a better response to it and, and a meaningful shift in terms of emissions. And this 100% club, is it Irish? Is it just based in Ireland no, or is it a global very, movement? It's very much a global movement and um, uh, it's it, ju- it just coincided with this conference here this week, uh, Castle, yeah. Yeah, which is hosted by the European uh, in Climate Innovation uh, body, it's known as mm. um, Climate Kick. And... Um, like there's some very big hitters in town in terms of climate climate financing, and um, not that you, that's not part of the mainstream of of financial services yet, but it's certainly moving in that direction. And and uh, sure. yeah. and I suppose this to be welcomed, uh, but it strikes me that the farming community are big polluters as well, and we've got yes. cows and their yeah. methane uh, yeah. emissions and uh, so forth. Very much so. Um, you know, what's the farming community doing about this? Well, actually, um, you know, the, the farmers get a very bad reputation and um, I, I think it, it's unfair in some circumstances, but you can't deny that over a third of Ireland's carbon emissions uh, are from agriculture. And that's, you know, we stand out in Europe on that. It's huge. 
And but it's very significant the efforts to which you know sustainable farming is now becoming part of standard normal farming and and achieving a, a reduction in in uh, greenhouse gas emissions. But it's only the beginning. Um, there's a major UN report on on uh, land use, which will include agriculture due out next August, and that will inform a major shift in in Ireland and globally in terms of agriculture. It's the most complex and demanding form of emissions that ha- to be dealt with. In fairness, Ireland, particularly in dairy production, is a, is a world leader in terms of cl- climate efficiency, um, and equally in beef production. But that said, there's a huge amount of emissions associated with those activities. So I think, you know, there's a major shift that's going to happen uh, over the next decade. And some of it will have to be imposed unless, you know, mm. Ireland can come up with far reaching solutions and how it does farming and how its food production is less carbon intensive. Are we going to have to cull herds? Um, I think there's a scenarios where you could increase the profitability for farmers um, by restricting expansion of herds and yet, uh, you know, fulfilling a, a key role in decarbonisation, for example, the use of karma, carbon sinks, in other words, using land to absorb uh, carbon or produce bioenergy crops. And I think Ireland has particularly, mm. uh, you know, has particularly good uh, potential in that regard. It's a tricky issue, isn't it? Because obviously agriculture is still very much a part of the Irish psyche, even very much so. even though it's lessened in importance, obviously, over the years. But also, you've got to feed people and you've got to feed them quality Absolutely. food and there's much more yeah. focus on the quality of the of the output now. Yes, and then when you factor in population expansion, you mm-hmm. know, so the world, uh, you know, is, is heading for 9 billion people uh, by 2050. So they, ha- they will have to be fed. So, you know, th- there's a reasonable case put saying that if you're efficient in farming, you know, you shouldn't curtail that. Uh, but on the other hand, there's obviously a risk that less uh, committed uh, economies w- will go to sort of poor farming practice that emit even higher amounts of carbon. So so the balance has to be very carefully struck. Sure. OK, this is a debate I'm sure that's going to run on for quite some time. Kevin O'Sullivan, thank you for joining us. We're going to take a short break now. When we return, we're going to be talking about the European Commission's proposals for a digital sales tax. I'll be joined in studio by Olivia Buckley of the Irish Tax Institute and by phone by Patrick Smith, our Europe editor. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Now, welcome back to this Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. You can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Now, some time ago, the European Commission proposed a 3% digital sales tax targeted at big internet companies such as Google, Amazon and Facebook. Ireland and other member states are opposed to this EU-wide levy and the matter was the subject of much debate in Brussels this week at a meeting of finance ministers to discuss the implications of this for Ireland. Olivia Buckley of the Irish Tax Institute joins me in the studio. But first I'm going to go to our Brussels-based Europe editor, Patrick Smith, who's going to give us the background on those negotiations uh, this week. Paddy, you might just tell us, first, it was the ECOFIN meeting on Tuesday uh, at which the European finance ministers, the EU finance ministers convene, and the digital sales tax was the main item of the agenda. And there was a, a bit of a twist, if you like, in proceedings. 
Yeah, well, the ministers were supposed to be hearing a state of play report from the Commission and the presidency on uh, proposals which are supposed to be voted on in uh, December. The Commission and the French in particular, who were very enthusiastic about this, had been saying uh, that everything was going uh, swingingly and that um, the uh, support for the DST uh, were, was actually was actually increasing. Um, but what happened on Tuesday um is that uh, to everyone's surprise, uh, the Germans made it clear that um, although they supported the idea of a DST, they uh, didn't believe it should be implemented ahead of proposals from the OECD, uh, which are due next year on reform of of, uh, digital uh, taxation. And uh, this is a bit of a bolt from the blue. Uh, So what happened uh, was that the campaign, which was being run by Ireland and a number of members, Nordic member states mainly, in what has been the Swedes and and a couple of other states. Denmark, I know, are prominent as well, yeah. Uh, Denmark were there too, um, and I think Finland are are in the group as well. They uh, had uh, been running a sort of rearguard action to say they were not going to change their vote, um, that the unanimity which the Commission required in December was not going to be there. But uh, they were feeling a little beleaguered. And um, so the German um, slowdown, if you like, of the process uh, was very welcome to them. And you could say it's a major diplomatic success uh, for Ireland. And then the French came out with this compromise proposal whereby essentially they're, they're saying, well, look, let's go ahead and, and vote, agree on voting through this change. However, we won't implement it until uh, BEPS comes through with its report uh, in two years' time. And if the BEPS report doesn't come through from the OECD, then we, we go ahead and implement Yes, it's a it's a proposal which has all the hallmarks of what we know what we know in the Brexit negotiations as a backstop, and uh, oh no. the uh, <laughs> oh no, another another backstop backstop has become the in word in the European Union, uh, and uh, the uh, the French I think uh, having realised that the Germans were going to block uh, the thing wanted to get something out so that they could say in December. We've made a decision in principle because they believe that it will be useful to campaigning in the European elections because their argument has been all along that um, the failure to tax the big digital companies was actually something which was aggrieved, uh, but was was, um, seriously browning off the the voters. Uh, And so by putting it on the long finger like this, uh, in this backstop form, a guarantee that they would introduce such a tax if, uh, unless and until, as they say in Brexit, uh, the uh, OECD produced its its um, better proposals. So uh, that that that's it. It's a political move by the French to to save face on on their part. All right, Olivia Buckley. What's Ireland's beef with this digital sales tax? I think there are a couple of issues with the sales tax. First of all, uh, traditional international tax rules is about taxing profits. And this European Commission proposal was a turnover tax. And you could have companies that um, didn't have, uh, weren't necessarily making profits, 
but were going to be taxed regardless. So sure. it wasn't in line with international tax principles. Well, and taxing, I think taxing turnover isn't a new thing, is it? I mean, we do it on uh, bookmaking companies here, don't we? Oh, well, it's a different type. That's a direct taxation mm. um, that you have. This is about uh, allocation of profits for corporates and corporate taxation. And that's Sorry, doesn't that apply to bookmakers as well? Because we had the phenomenon some years ago where online uh, became a big thing uh, for bookmakers and a lot of them were locating uh, overseas in Gibraltar or Jersey or wherever it might be including the likes of Paddy Power uh, and they were avoiding essentially having to pay any tax on those on, on uh, profits or uh, sales um, that they were doing o- online and then the governments uh, in Ireland and Britain anyway um, certainly tackled it head on and we introduced this digital sales tax effectively for the bookmakers capturing doing essentially what uh, the Europeans are proposing. Yeah, well, I think that was a separate uh, tax matter and it was a completely different tax. This is really about corporate taxation, the profits of corporates and how you, the taxing rights across cross-border. And that is really what what is at stake here. And I think Ireland's issue is that it's complex. It involves many different countries. It involves many different companies based here exporting across borders and that we're better off with the OECD taking a full and wholesome look at the complexities of the issue and a complex it is. I mean, the interim report from the OECD calls it the challenges of digital taxation and challenges it certainly is, but that we need a more global approach to this issue. And I think Ireland isn't alone, uh, as Patrick has outlined, many other countries across the EU frowning and getting quite nervous uh, at the technicalities of what was being proposed. Sure, but we used to hide behind Britain's skirt on tax issues uh, in the European Union. It was very convenient for us um, and because Britain was, you know, there is a veto on tax matters in the European Union. And we never want to exercise that veto if we can avoid it. Britain was never going to go along with any sort of, uh, you know, taxation by the back door, some pan-European taxation by the back door. So we could hide behind them. But even Philip Hammond in his budget speech um, last week uh, uh, talked about introducing a digital sales tax. He did, but he also did exactly what Europe did yesterday and said, let's wait and see, can we get a global solution through the OECD before we will implement it? So it's the same kind of tactic that's been used by the UK and and showing a preference for the OECD route. And I think in fairness to the OECD, if you look at their progress on BEPS, the BEPS report was just published in 2015. That's just three years ago. uh, And we're close to within a year, year and a half away from full implementation of it. Massive piece of work. And I think they have shown good form. Pascal Sand to man, uh, the man who heads up the OECD Tax Policy Centre, certainly showing lots of skill, ambition and determination. And I think if he shows that on digital tax, we're going to see change that will affect everybody uh, in the world, including Ireland and EU countries. What does the Irish Tax Institute think would be a fair way to tax the the sales or profits of these uh, internet multinationals, uh, a lot of whom have uh, regional bases here in Ireland, but operate right across the European Union? I think there's a recognition that there is going to be change on the way and that the old traditional international tax rules were very much based on, taxing rights were based on physical presence. The old permanent establishment rule that is still used, if you had a physical asset, if you had people, if you had a plant, that was that determined whether you had a, t- a country had a taxing right on a company. And I think what we're seeing is that there's a huge move. The world is becoming digitalised. More businesses are digitalised. Huge change. And that there's no getting away from the fact that we're going to see something that perhaps sees a digital presence formula or factor. It's complex. It's not easy. There's very different uh, views across the world on it. But certainly, I think, um, acceptance that there's going to be some change on this. And we see the pressure being piled on uh, at the EU finance ministers yesterday saying, we want a solution, we want a quick solution, and we want something brought forward by the OECD 
by 2020 at the latest and we know that the OECD are working very hard. In fact, uh, they've already stated they have some ambitions that June 2019 is in their sights when Japan hosts the G20 meeting. Paddy? I think the the idea of of a digital presence is an idea that has come and and is certainly going to inform uh, the OECD uh, proposals. And it's a a problem that that is challenging to Ireland because it will mean uh, a a considerable revision of the amount of of tax that Ireland can take from from digital digital companies. And that's certainly at the back of of Pascal Donoghue's mind. I was going to make two other points. And one is that uh, the, the, the German... The significance of the German uh, nervousness um, is related uh, undoubtedly to concerns about the state of transatlantic uh, trade at the moment. The fears the Germans have of a, of a real bust up uh, with, with America and the American perception that the DST was a tax on American companies. Now, that's not altogether fair, but there's undoubtedly um, a very large weight of part of the tax would have weighed on uh, on American uh, digital uh, giants. Well, Paddy, I think, so can I just say, a lot of people uh, listening to this might be confused about that because they might be thinking, well, hold on, wasn't Donald Trump saying that these American companies were avoiding American taxes uh, by being located in Ireland and, and elsewhere? And, you know, part of that um, Apple case with uh, the, the European Commission uh, revolves around location and so forth um, and was you know, and he wants to bring those taxes home, and he introduced the package of tax reforms and so forth. So, why why should Donald Trump care about American companies uh, paying taxes that are due, let's say, on activities that they do in Europe anyway? Well, I, I, first thing is, I would I would not say that it's necessary to imagine that Donald Trump is consistent in in, the, in his approach. He's he's what he is doing is defending, as he sees it, uh, um, American interests uh, internationally, um, and the other. The other point I wanted to make was about uh, the political background to this, because I think that Ireland has played, has spent a lot of political capital in in uh, resisting uh, digital tax. For countries like France and Germany and Spain and and, and others believe that Ireland has abused um, its tax system to cheat them of what they regard as legitimate revenue. So there's, there's quite a lot of resentment at, at an Irish resistance uh, to uh, digital taxation. And an Ireland uh, business model, if you like, is based on on the idea of drawing, bringing these companies to Ireland by offering them uh, a very generous uh, tax deals. But there's a price to pay for that. And Ireland has got to begin to think about whether or not it is worth the price at a time when we are looking for European support on other things, notably on, on, on Brexit. So uh, I, I think there's the beginnings of a sign in Ireland uh, that we are perhaps willing to revisit uh, the, our old tax models. Olivia, has Ireland uh, abused the tax system and cheated other European countries out of taxes, as Paddy has described there? I think there is an acceptance when the BEPS project came out, uh, hundreds of pages with over 110 countries involved in it, uh, that this was not just about Ireland. And I think Pascal Saint-Amand from the OECD made that clear. Uh, there was a whole lot of 
mismatches, broken rules for 80 years, a changed world, a globalised world, a more digitalised world. And Ireland certainly wasn't alone. I think we have fully participated. We've uh, come to the table. So we did uh, abuse them, but we just weren't alone. Uh, No, I think think there were loopholes and there was an acceptance that the rules were out of date, 80 years old uh, and mismatches uh, across the world and and companies um, using those mismatches. But I don't think it was just about Ireland. Um, It certainly wasn't. I think there's been many, many countries involved in the process and we're only uh, one of them. And I think going back uh, in terms of the European agenda, it's very clear that many countries had huge reservations about the digital tax. Um, Germany, Denmark, Finland, the Czech Republic, uh, Sweden, leading, really leading the charge and the Swedish companies, all the tech companies from Sweden coming out this week uh, and the German Business Federation. So Ireland certainly isn't alone on this issue, I don't think. Many more were in favour, however, and the reality is that if this particular proposal falls, which it looks like it's going to do, uh, 11 countries have already declared, I think, that they are prepared to introduce their own national measures. Including Italy and Spain, isn't that right? Including Italy and Spain and the British the other day. Mm. Um, Olivia, there's been a lot of uh, talk and mention of our increasing uh, corporation tax rates. I think over the past four years, it's it's more than double than this year uh, alone. We've seen a big jump and the latest exchequer figures in corporation taxes. There have been questions about whether this is uh, sustainable or not. Um, if Whether it's the OECD or whether it's the European Commission introduces uh, some changes and we sign up for them, uh, is that going to materially impact our corporation tax revenues? Well, I think we're going to see change and change if there is a change in the allocation of profits uh, and a look at the, the digital mix and who has taxing rights Ireland is going to see some change in that regard. And I think uh, in terms of some of the state reports and the Fiscal Council coming out says, you know, we can see uh, corporation tax receipts uh, maintaining their current level till about 2020, but thereafter, we've got to be careful. And I think the real issue here is how are we going to build a strong indigenous Irish enterprise sector that we are not altogether dependent on foreign multinationals? I mean, one of the facts uh, that jumps out for me out of our top 100 corporate taxpaying companies in this country, over 50 are American alone and just 10 are Irish. And that is really a strong signal to us that we need to start looking at rebalancing the OECD, the IMF, the European Commission, all of those bodies that have carried out country reports in Ireland. They have said, your tax resilience, your tax base is an issue for you. And I think it's really high time we start to look at the Irish indigenous sector in addition to keeping our eye keenly on the multinational sector as well. Paddy, that is a big weakness for it, isn't it? Uh, Our reliance on a small number of large multinationals who have invested heavily here, employed thousands of people here, put a lot of activity through Ireland, but they could up sticks, you know, not at any time, but they could certainly up sticks over a period of years and we could be left holding the baby, as it were. Yes, I think it's dangerous for us to consider, uh, to use the the money raised from these companies uh, for recurrent expenditure, which has to be repeated. So it is, we have to do creative things with some of that money, like putting putting it into a a, a rainy day fund. But I just make one point about the cost to us of the DST, for example. It's been estimated that in terms of tax revenue, uh, the the, uh, DST introduced across Europe would probably cost uh, the Irish Exchequer something like 160 million in uh, lost revenues. Now, that's very, very small beer. And it's very small beer to fight a sort of last-ditch defence on. Yeah, of course, that's in the context of what corporation tax revenue is more than 8 billion annually. 
And I think it, it's not just a matter of the money per se. The 160 million is a small amount when you look at the billions uh, that come in from corporate, uh, in, in corporate taxation to the country. But I think it was about precedent. It was about turning international tax rules on their head. And where would that eventually lead us to? So uh, Ireland's principle and point is that we need to get look at the complexity of the issue. We need to deal with it in all its angles and facets and come up with a global consensus that deals with that complexity and arrive at a consensus and a formula that is acceptable to everybody. And this has got to be good for your members uh, because whatever happens, there are going to be changes uh, taking place and presumably your members are, are going to be the ones helping companies figure it all out. Well, I think we've seen in recent years that Taxation, obviously, it's a it's a big cost to companies, so they're always looking at their their taxation, their compliance. Huge amount of change in the global tax rules that have to be adhered to. So people looking for the best advice, um, and in, and in addition to that, tax has become a big issue in the corporate boardroom. It's uh, from corporate responsibility to reputation to uh, adhering to all the new rules. So it, it it's a big issue, and companies are ever more mindful of it. I think than ever. Paddy, a final question for you. The Austrian presidency is hoping to get agreement on this issue uh, at the meeting in December. What are the chances of that? I think the chances are still slim. I, even even with the French uh, amendment, uh, the backstop that they're putting into it, uh, the principle that, that it would be Im- implemented only in two years' time, I still think that you're going to see Ireland and uh, Sweden, uh, among other. Uh, voting against it and blocking uh, the unanimity they require. Um, but it hasn't gone away completely and the French will hope to get some kind of a, a political statement uh, in December. Alright, we'll continue to follow that story and no doubt we'll have more on this podcast in the weeks and months ahead as this uh, position unfolds. My thanks to Patrick Smith and to Olivia Buckley for joining me. Okay, that's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Peter Hamilton, Kevin O'Sullivan, Patrick Smith and Olivia Buckley. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon as sound engineer. Don't forget you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our Business Today email at irishtimes.com and you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook. I'm Kieran. Hancock. Until next time, take care.